The following audio is from Jacob's Well Church. For more information about Jacob's Well Church, please visit www.jacobswellgb.org. Let's go to Lord in prayer. Lord, as we come to your teaching this morning, we are reminded that many times you teach us hard things. And many times when we are taught hard things, people flee. And yet you teach us these things because you love us, because you care for us, and because you want freedom for us, God. And so, Lord, we pray that you would lower the barriers of our heart, that we would let your word roll in, that we would let conviction set in, that we would let freedom spring out, and that we would live in obedience to you. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. On August 31st, 1854, there was a cholera outbreak in the Soho district of England. Over the next three days, 127 people on or near Ford Street died. In the next three quarters of the residents left town. By the end, over 616 people had died from this cholera outbreak. During this outbreak, scientists debated what the cause was, what was transmitting it. Most of them were were convinced that it was transmitted through the air. But there was one man named John Snow, and he came and he had a very different theory. And so to prove his theory, he took a map of the city and he mapped out all the places where people lived who had died. And along with that map, he also mapped out where the drinking wells were. As he laid this out before other people, it became conclusive that the cholera disease was being passed through the water. Now, there were some in that area uh, who were spared because either they got water from a different well or because actually they drank a lot of beer. And beer was boiled and fermented and the cholera was killed in the process. But what we see is that water was something that was given to us that was meant to be a blessing to everyone, yet inside of it ended up carrying this awful disease that killed so many people. And so the problem wasn't the water, but the problem was the cholera disease that was found in the water. If you were to look at the church today, and you were to wonder what was the greatest threat of the church? What was it that was making people turn away from the faith and go different paths? What would you maybe say that it is? Maybe you would say ISIS. Maybe you would say liberal theology. Maybe you would say it's political agendas. Well, it may surprise you that these are not the primary target of Jesus and his ministry. Rather, Jesus saw a threat that was so much more pervasive and so much lethal and so much more hidden than these things. In fact, 15% of what Jesus ever taught was on this very topic. And that what is more, and that is more than what Jesus taught on heaven and hell combined. 
It is a topic that the Bible discusses four times more than prayer or faith. And so what is this topic that drew so much attention from Jesus? What is this topic that Jesus saw as one of the greatest threats against his people, against his church? Well, the answer is greed. You see, there is nothing wrong with money or possessions. Actually, they are given to us as a blessing from God, just like water. But it so often carries with it this deadly disease of greed, a disease of the heart. I was recently grabbing uh, lunch with a missionary who's home on furlough, and I asked him, I said, what is the hardest part about coming back to America? And out of all of the things he said, he said, the hardest part about coming back to America is all of the excess. It is just so hard to stomach. I was talking to another friend of mine who also came off the mission field, wondering if he had the same feelings. He said, you know what, Dan? Greed is a, is a problem wherever you go. If you go to an African country and one farmer has one goat and another farmer has two goats, the farmer with one goat will want to become the farmer with three goats. And so you see, greed is not an issue for rich people or an issue for poor people. Greed is an issue for all people. And Jesus sees it as a real threat against his people. You know, it struck me in all my years of ministry, 15 years now, I don't think anybody has come to me and said, Pastor, help me. I am struggling with greed. You see, greed is like spinach in the teeth. Everyone else sees it before you do. And you see it in others before you see it in yourselves. You say, look at that vacation or look at that car that they bought or that house that they bought or that second house. They can't afford that. They must be greedy people. And you don't know the condition of their heart, but we make these judgments, but don't even ever analyze our own heart. And so today, Jesus is calling us to analyze our own heart and see what greed lies within us, that we could release it to God and find the freedom that he has for us. Greed is a big human problem that nobody is talking about except Jesus. And what we'll see today is that greed has nothing, absolutely nothing to do with how much you have or don't have in your bank account or in your houses. But greed has everything to do with what is in your heart. Greed has everything to do with what you treasure in your heart. If you would, please open up to Matthew chapter 6. It's page 811 in the Children's Bible, page 1027 in the Children's Bible. This passage is found in the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is describing a radically different community, a community of people that live not for themselves, not for the kingdom of this world, but for the kingdom of God, disciples of Jesus that follow Jesus with all that they are. In this Sermon on the Mount, Jesus describes a radically different understanding of how to pursue happiness through the Beatitudes. A radical different understanding of mission in life, which is to be salt and light to the world. A radically different understanding of God's law that it sinks deeper into our heart. A radically different understanding of how to treat our enemies with love instead of hate. A radically different understanding of how to practice our spiritual disciplines in private before an audience of one. And last week, a radically different understanding of how to approach our needs in life, not with anxiety and fear, but entrusting them to our Heavenly Father to provide. 
And so today, Jesus continues this pattern of teaching us about this radically different kingdom. And he does this by showing us how we should understand our money, how we should understand our treasures. And so let's read together Matthew 6, verse 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray again. Lord, we come to a topic that affects all of us. You have blessed us so much with riches and possessions. And so, God, again, we pray, Lord, that you would teach us through your Holy Spirit, lead us in the paths of righteousness and in the ways of freedom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. As I was uh, starting to prepare this sermon, I was reminded of how uncomfortable I get preaching about money. And so I started thinking to myself, why is it that I get so uncomfortable preaching about money? If Jesus had no problem preaching about it, why do I get so uncomfortable preaching about it? And there are four things I came up with, four reasons I think I get very uncomfortable with it. The first reason is that preaching on money seems self-promoting. You know, part of what God calls us to do is to give to the church. And so it seems rather self-promoting for me to stand up here and say, give money as God has commanded you to give because it pays my salary and it pays for things that the church wants to do. And so that's one reason. Another reason is because preaching on money pokes at people's idols and makes them very angry. You see, there may be things in your life that you so desperately want, a bigger house, a bigger boat, another lake house, or whatever it might be. You want all these things. And when we preach at money, what happens is God starts going poke, 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 and we get angry. I don't like making people angry. The third reason is because people approach sermons like this very defensively. You know, in our hearts, we may have already found ourselves putting up walls to what Jesus has to teach us today. We have already justified the ways we handle our our finances. We have a woe is me mentality. My life is so hard and so horrible. And so that's why I have to do things that are not generous. But if you have seen in the introduction of this subject of money and greed and finances, if you've seen the walls in your heart start going up and the defenses start being played out, I would just encourage you, to let the walls come down, and to let the truth of the gospel roll in. 
the fourth reason why I'm uncomfortable preaching about money is because it hits close to home. You see, I had to wrestle with this for two weeks. And I have become fully convinced or have fully seen that I am not untouched by this disease of greed. I see it running through my heart in many different ways, both in maybe a reluctance to give generously, but also it's more pronounced in my life as when I do give money, I give it reluctantly or under compulsion, but not joyfully, which is also revealing the greed in my heart. And so today we're going to look at this uncomfortable subject because it is important to Jesus. It is important to God, and therefore it is vitally important to you and to me. And so together, let's look deeper into our Savior's teaching and let him chisel away the greed in our hearts. Today, Jesus is going to really show us the what, the how, and the why of money and possessions. He's going to teach us what to treasure with your money. He's going to teach you how to treasure with your money, and he is going to teach you why to treasure with your money. And so let's dive in first. What to treasure with your money. Look at verse 19 with me. Jesus says, do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. In the original text, which was written in Greek, it is literally translated this way. It says, do not treasure for yourselves treasures upon the earth. I think this is extremely significant. I'm not sure why it doesn't cross the bridge into the English translation, but Jesus is saying, do not treasure. It's the verbal form of the word that's going to come later. It's an action word. Do not treasure for yourself treasures. That's the noun version of the same word that comes earlier upon the earth. Now, Jesus does not come and simply say, do not treasure. He says, do not treasure treasures on earth. And the reason why Jesus does this is because we were made to treasure. This is the treasure principle that all of us treasure something that we cannot not treasure, right? To, to, to ask your heart not to treasure something is like asking your lungs to stop breathing or asking your eyes to stop seeing. It just can't do it. All of us treasure something. And the thing that we treasure orients our life and our finances and our time and our energies and our money. And so Jesus does not say, do not treasure, but he directs us what to treasure. And so the question is, what should we treasure? Well, Jesus starts first off by telling us what not to treasure. He really, he really addresses our default setting, our cultural setting. Verse 19, do not treasure for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust destroy, and where thieves break in and steal. Jesus is challenging our investment strategies. He's challenging our investment in earthly things, temporary things, things that moth and rust and thieves can take away. You see, the human heart is created with a me-first mentality in mind, and it's constantly telling us, accumulate more, give less, store up for yourself treasures on earth, eat, drink, and be married, for then you will die. Commercials in our culture reinforce this all around us. I don't know if you remember this in college. I know it's true of me, but in college, I lived on a very tight budget, right? Ramen noodles were one of my best friends. And then as I got out of college, I started to earn a little bit of money. And I thought to myself, you know what? 
now I'm going to be free from always worrying about the next meal or what, you know, whatever finances I have in my life because I was earning more money. And it was a little bit of an upgrade. It wasn't much. But what I found is I still worried about how am I going to pay for this and pay for that and pay for this and pay for that. Well, then I got a better job and I earned a lot more money. And I thought, okay, finally, I'm going to be free of the restraints of worrying about money and how I'm going to pay for all these things. But then I found myself saying, okay, how am I going to pay for this? How am I going to pay for that? And the reason, the only explanation is because I continued to accumulate earthly riches. You see, greed is such a subtle and yet pervasive problem in our church. We accumulate and we gather all of the gadgets, all of the gizmos, all of the luxuries that we think will give us pleasure and joy in this life, and yet they leave us vacant and empty. Now, I want to be clear. Jesus is not warning us against possessing things. Jesus is warning us against treasuring things. You see, there is a massive difference between the two. We can possess things and enjoy them as a gift from God and thank him for it. But if those things possess us, as we'll see later in verse 24, we become servants of those things. And we treasure those things above everything else. And again, it orients our life. And so Jesus warns us against treasuring earthly treasures. He goes on, verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourself. Again, treasure up for yourself. Treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. Again, Jesus Jesus is challenging our investment strategies. He's calling us to invest our heart and our money in things that have no shelf life, in things that have no expiration, in things that will never fade away, things that will never perish, things that will go on forever and ever and ever. And so the question is, what are those things? What are the things that are eternal? Well, really, there are three things that will last forever. One is God himself. The other is the word of God. And the third is the souls of men. And so what does it look like for us to invest in these things? What does it look like to use our money to treasure in our hearts the treasures of heaven? Well, let me give you two practical ways. And I will be digging here a little bit if I haven't been digging yet. The first is this, very practical. Be obedient to God's command to tithe. When um, Before we started up Awana Jacobswell Church, my my children were going to Pioneer Club at New Hope Church, and the teacher was teaching on tithing. And when she was done teaching, my son promptly spoke up and said, we don't do that at our church. And so I told him, son, if we don't do that at our church, we don't eat dinner. So just to set the record straight, we do do this at our church. And the reason we do it isn't so I can eat dinner and so Chad can eat dinner and our kids can eat dinner. We do it because God commands it throughout Scripture. Throughout the Old Testament, several times, God calls them to bring in their tithe. And the word tithe literally means one-tenth. You know, I've heard it suggested in some circles that tithing is just an Old Testament concept. But Jesus reinforces it, both in Matthew 23, 23 and Luke eleven forty two. You can look him up later. But what Jesus is doing in that context is he is rebuking the Pharisees and rebuking the scribes 
for neglecting mercy, but he also reinforces that they should continue to tithe the first fruits of their harvest. Friends, we should not treat God's command lightly because to be honest, God doesn't treat it lightly either. I have a passage here from Malachi 3, and I have it on the screen because I want you to see these are not words I'm making up. This is what the word of God says. Malachi 3, 7 says this. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. And then he has this dialogue. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house, and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. God does not call you to test him often, but he calls you to test him on this. Test me, he says, if I will not open up the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more needs. You know, some of the statistics that jumped out to me this week were pretty startling. 37% of people who attend church every week and identify themselves as born-again believers don't give any money to their church at all. On average, Christians give 2.5% to their church. And the most startling part about this is that it is almost a full percentage lower than what Christians gave to the church during the Great Depression. Friends, we are the richest people in the history of the world. And if we know God's command to tithe and yet do not do it, the only possibility is that we have other treasures in our heart. And so how do we treasure the heavenly things? Do not treat tithing lightly. Give as the Lord has commanded. That is the first way. The second way is this. Support missions and ministries that share the word of God and the gospel of Christ in both word and deed. Jesus in Luke 12 says, For the one whom has been entrusted with much, much will be asked. You know, if you are here today and you earn $34,000 a year, you probably think to yourself, I am poor. That's our mentality. And yet, if you earn $34,000 a year, you are in the top one percentile of the world. That means for, for one person that earns 34000 here, there are 99 more who don't. And so we have been given so much, and what God has given it to us is that we might steward it generously to others, generously towards heavenly things, to the people of God, to the word of God, and to the souls of men. This point is longer than the rest, but let me end with this. In evangelical, Evangelicals Now, September 1994, there was an article in which Sir Frederick Catherwood said this. He goes, greed is a logical result of the belief that there is no life after death. We grab what we can while we can. Here's what he's saying. He's saying if you're here today and that you believe that there is no God and that Jesus is not Savior and that there is no heaven and there is no hell, to spend all of your money to absorb all the accumulation of all the earthly riches is perfectly in line with your belief system. But if you are here today and you do believe in a God 
and you do believe in a heaven, and you do believe in a hell, and yet you spend all of your earthly money on earthly treasures, then you're acting absolutely inconsistently with your belief system. Because Jesus calls us to not treasure things on earth, but treasure for ourselves treasures in heaven. Again, I'm not just preaching to you. (laughs) I'm preaching to myself. So that is what to treasure with our money. Second, how to treasure with your money. Verse 21, Jesus says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, all of us know that if we treasure something, we give money to it, right? Like if you had a new girlfriend, a new boyfriend, all of a sudden the bank account opens up and you have these nice, amazing dinners that you've never eaten with anyone before in your life, right? Or if you love fishing or knitting or the Packers or something else, you'll open up the bank account to buy the gear because where your treasure goes, your I'm sorry, where your heart goes, your treasure goes with it. And so all of us know that in our heads. But what is interesting here is that this is not the point that Jesus is making. Jesus actually flips them around so that he can teach us how to treasure with your money. Jesus does not say, for where your heart is, there will be your treasure also. Instead, he flips and he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. You see, Jesus is teaching us not what to treasure in this passage, but how to treasure. And the way we treasure something with our heart is by investing in it with our money. Let me give you this example. Maybe you're here today and you'd like to play the stock market, right? And let's say you have half of your investments in Nintendo stock, which just went through the roof because of Pokemon Go. And so as you open up the the morning paper or maybe pull up the screen with the stock reports, you may gaze at a few other stocks just to see how they're doing. But where is the focus of your attention? It's where you have put your treasure. This is what draws you in. This is what captivates you because where you have put your treasure will also capture your heart. You see, the point that Jesus is making here is so very, very important which is that how you invest your money is never, ever neutral. It's never neutral. Wherever you place your money, your heart will follow. And so we're left with this question. What are things, what are heavenly things that we want to want to treasure? Maybe we don't treasure them now, but we want to want to treasure them. Maybe it's the poor. Maybe it's missions. Maybe it's Bible distribution. Maybe it's the church. I don't know what it is, but what is something that you want to want to treasure more? Jesus says, here's how you do it. Invest in it financially. But he also goes a step farther. And he gives an illustration to this point, which at first glance seems like it's a, it's a, it's a tangent, but we'll see how it fits in here really nicely with verse 21. Verse 22 and 23, Jesus says this. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? The ESV study Bible, you may have that. It makes a great point on this. It says that the eye, similar to the heart in Jewish literature, is a lamp that reveals the quality of a person's inner life. That a healthy eye with clear vision suggests the loyal devotion to God, while a bad eye, impaired vision, connotes moral corruption. 
You know, I think Jesus' major point here is that wherever you put your money, your heart will follow. But what he's also teaching us is that we must be careful where we put our eyes, where we put our attention, because our heart may follow that as well. Let me give you an example from my own life. When Trish and I were uh, newly married, we had uh, a, a dish network, and we had the um, is it HGTV channel. Is that what it's called? HGTV. And they had house hunters, and they had all of these different things. And we loved to watch it. And what I found in watching those shows was my heart continued to grow more and more and more greedy. Like I wanted to sell my house and move every three months, which is not healthy, by the way. But this is what I wanted to do. Or I wanted to, like, take out half my house and put a, a wall that goes up and down so I could just walk outside whenever I wanted to. I mean, these were the things, the places that my heart was going. So finally I said, man, like, I just have to stop watching this. Because as I'm focusing on this, this is where my treasure is going in my heart. And all of a sudden I become bitter about giving to the church and giving to missionaries because I want to go do these other things for my life. Now, there's nothing wrong with those things as we'll talk about later. But what I was doing is I was treasuring it in my heart. And so let me ask you, what is it for you that you are so tempted to treasure that it distracts you from being faithful to God's calling? Maybe it's a motorcycle. Maybe it's a Menards flyer. Maybe it's a, a knitting magazine or, or, or maybe it's HDTV. I, I don't know what it is for you. Maybe it's simply just going to the store and seeing all of the options or, or going to Kohl's and seeing, look, it was $160. Now it's 20 bucks. I'm saving like, you know, $140. Wait, I didn't do that math right. But you know what I'm saying, right? It would be a sin not to buy it. Jesus is calling us to protect our hearts by protecting our eyes. You know what your treasures are. I know what mine are. He's saying, be careful, because this will lead you away from being faithful and from treasuring heavenly things. Finally, Jesus talks about how, but he also talks about why. Why to treasure with your money. And this great counter culture that Jesus is promoting called the church, Jesus is teaching his disciples that what we should treasure with our money is heavenly things, right? Eternal things. That how we should treasure is by by giving away money sacrificially. And so the most important question might be, why should we do this? Why should we give our money away? Why should we give to the point that maybe it hurts a little bit? And Jesus pointed out earlier, because you're giving to eternal things, but he also makes a stronger point right here that is very important. Look at verse 24 with me. He says, No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus is making a very powerful point here that none of us are free, that, that none of us are without a master, I should say. See, all of us are servants to the things that we most treasure. We live treasure-oriented lives, lives where we work to serve the masters that we treasure so much. And we're not only servants to these treasures, but these treasures are masters over us because they consume our thoughts and our efforts and even our spending. You see, Jesus says here 
Well, he doesn't say this, but Jesus pointed out, you can have two cars and you can have two friends. You can even have two boyfriends or two girlfriends, although I wouldn't recommend it. But you cannot have two masters. You can only have one master. And that master governs your life. There's a famous writer. His name's David Foster Wallace. At the 2005 Kenyan commencement, he summarized this well. And I don't, I don't know much about David Foster reading parts of this. I don't think he's a Christian, but I don't, I don't know. But this is what he says to graduating seniors. He says, in the day-to-day trenches of adult life, there is actually no such thing as atheism. There is no such thing as not worshiping. Everybody worship. The one choice we get is what to worship. And an outstanding reason for choosing some sort of God is that anything else you worship will eat you alive. If you worship money and things, if they are what you tap real meaning in life, then you will never have enough, never feel you have enough. Worship your own body and beauty and allure, and you will always feel ugly. And when time and age start showing, you will die a million deaths before they finally plant you. Worship power. You will feel weak and afraid. And you will never, ever more, you will need ever more power over others to keep your fear at bay. Worship your intellect, being seen as smart. You will end up feeling stupid, a fraud, always on the verge of being found out. And then he goes on to say this. He says, the insidious thing about these forms of worship is that they are unconscious. They are default settings. They're the kind of worship you just gradually slip into day after day. Friends, when it comes to our money, we only have two options. We can either worship earthly treasures as a God, or we can worship God with our earthly treasures. Those are the two options. All of us, without exception, will either serve a master of things or a master of God. And out of all other masters, God is the right master that we should follow. He's the right master that we should serve. Because you see, all other masters will demand and demand and demand. They will want your sacrifice. They want your offering day after day after day. They want your time. They want your energy. They want you to give and give and give. And God is the only master who actually came to serve you. He's the only master that will come to love you and to sacrifice himself for you. See, in Luke 15, Jesus tells this parable about the kingdom of God. And he he shares this story. He says, it's a parable. He says, there's a woman and she had 10 silver coins. He says, if she loses one coin, does does she not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, She calls together her friends and neighbors saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Now, if you have never heard this before and you have never heard the context, you might think that Jesus is telling us to pinch pennies, to chase after money as much as we can. But then Jesus shows this as an illustration of a far greater truth. He goes on and the next verse says, Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. You see, this parable is not about us searching for treasure. It's about God 
searching out his treasure. You see, to gain you as his treasure, God gave up his greatest treasure, his only beloved son, to come to an earth that would not treat him like treasure, but like trash, to come to an earth that would spit on him, curse him, and ultimately kill him. But all this was necessary. For at the cross, Jesus takes on our greed, our selfishness, our false worship. And at the cross, the greatest treasure of God is crucified in your place, in my place, that we might become the treasure of God. Jesus is calling us to treasure God with our money, not only because he is the greatest treasure, but because at the cross, God made you his greatest treasure. The great theologian Martin Luther, who vocally spoke out against the practice of giving money to earn favor with God called indulgences, said this. He said, there are three conversions a person needs to experience. The conversion of the head, the conversion of the heart, and the conversion of the pocketbook. Now, you may believe in your head that Jesus is Lord, and you may believe in your heart that Jesus is Savior. But if giving and and putting the treasures of heaven above the treasures of earth seem absolutely outrageous to you, then it's because God has not yet become your ultimate treasure. God is calling you to treasure him with your heart, with your money, because he is the good master that treasures us as well. Let me end with three simple applications and an illustration. You know, the, 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 the potential problem with this is that you go out and just feel guilty. And that's not the goal. The goal is that you go out and find freedom and find a master in Jesus who loves you and cares for you. Let me give three quick applications. The first is this, to give your first fruits. Giving was a part of God's plan from the very beginning with Cain and Abel. Do not rob God, but make your tithe a priority. The second is this, budget generosity. God is probably not calling you to sell everything and live in a tent. He might be, I don't know, but my guess is that he isn't. And I know for some of you, you just have this guilt. You're generous people, but you feel guilty like going on vacation or eating a steak dinner or having a lake house. You feel guilty about these things because you think, oh, I could take all this money and just give it to people who need it more than I do. But what if you just budgeted generosity? You say, you know what, I'm going to give my 10% to the church, and then I'm going to give whatever, 5%, 7%, 10%, whatever it is that between you and God, I'm going to give that to missions or to those in need or to whatever it might be. What if you budgeted it in that way? You can enjoy the steak dinner. You can enjoy the lake house because you have decided in your heart, as God has instructed us to, how to give generously. And so budget it. It doesn't have to be on a whim. It can be budgeted to give generously to others. And the third thing is to make your plan now. You know, when I think about money, so many times people say, you know what, I will do that in a couple years when I'm in a more secure spot. But it never happens. And so God is calling you to make him first place, not only in your hearts and in your minds, but in your bank account as well today. Not in the future, but today. And so make your plan now. Let me end with this. Um, There are men in Africa who trap animals to send them to American zoos. And one of the hardest animals to catch is the ring-tailed monkey. 
But for the Zulus, this is actually pretty easy for them. They figured out a system. You see, the method that they use is that they, uh, that they actually understand what these animals treasure, and they use that against them. And so what their trap is, is they simply find a vine with melons on it, and they drill a hole a certain size so that the monkeys can reach in and grab the seeds, which they so much treasure. And so they'll, they'll, they'll carve this hole and the monkeys will reach in and they'll grab the seed and their hand will be too big to get it out. And they will flail around and they will fight against the vine over and over and over again for hours until they come and capture that ring-tailed monkey. See, all the monkey has to do is let go and it would be free. But it refuses to let go of its treasure. And so its treasure has captured it. So let me ask you, What treasure are you grabbing onto that has grabbed a hold of you? What treasure is enslaving you? Maybe it is a new car or a new house. Maybe not. It's okay to have those things. But maybe this is an opportunity this afternoon to sit down with God and review your own heart and say, Lord, is there greed in my heart? Am I going the right direction? Lord, give me the willingness to give up whatever I need to for the extension of your kingdom. Jesus is calling us to let go of the treasures that enslave us and to hold on to him as our ultimate treasure. Let's pray. Lord, again, when I think of this passage, and maybe it's just me, but it's convicting. It it rocks the boat, Lord. It potentially has life changing decisions attached to it, budget-changing decisions. And maybe it's scary, Lord. And so, God, pray that you would remind us of your grace, remind us that there is a heaven, that this earth is not all that we live for, and that our greatest treasure is in Christ, and it's laid up for us in heaven, that we get to be with him and rejoice with him for all eternity, Lord. God, I pray for couples as they think through finances together, Lord, that they would put you first, that you would bring them on the same page, God, and that they would be glorified, uh, that you would be glorified by their generosity. Lord, as we turn to your supper, we're reminded of your great treasure, our great treasure, Jesus Christ, and how you gave up your treasure for us and how we now have an opportunity to give up our treasure for you, Lord. God, as we partake of these elements, change our hearts. We praise in Jesus' name. Amen. It emboldens God's people, and it proclaims God's victory for God's glory. Let's pray. Lord, you tell us to come and to give thanks for all of the trials in our life. And so we come to give thanks for the adversities in our life, for the trials in our life, knowing that in those adversities, you are doing something beautiful. And Lord, we confess that often we do not see it that way. Often we seek to to, to run away from it as fast as possible. But God, pray that you would give us the audacious faith in the midst of the adversity to glorify you in all things. Lord, as we turn to your table, again, we are reminded that the adversity that you faced on our behalf at the cross is what led to our salvation, and we praise you for that. God, pray as we take these elements that we be reminded of the great salvation that we have in Christ.
And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.